Welcome to Visiting Professors. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. In this series, clinical investigators visit medical oncologists in community-based practice and attend a specially arranged education clinic and review cases and meet actual patients from practices. On this program, we focus on lung cancer, and Dr. Neil Fishback presents cases to Dr. Tom Lynch, and Dr. Bob Moss presents cases to Dr. Ron Natale. To begin, Dr. Fishback presents to Dr. Lynch an 80-year-old man who had a primary T1A N0 adenocarcinoma of the lung resected two years ago. He had had actually a resection of a T1A N0 lesion in April of 2008 with no high-risk features, had done well, had had surveillance imaging for a year, but then lost the follow-up, and then represented in March of 2010 with worsening shortness of breath and was found to have complete left lung atelectasis due to a big proximal left mainstem lesion. His staging evaluation was also notable for a left groin mass and was ultimately found to have four small brain metastases. And he had biopsy of his groin mass and his proximal endobronchial lesion. And after stereotactic radiosurgery to his four brain lesions and accelerated radiation to the left proximal lung tumor, he went on to receive four cycles of carboplatin and olympta. And we were seeing him today just at the conclusion of his chemotherapy to discuss issues of maintenance treatment. So he sounds like he's been through a lot for an 80-year-old man. I'm guessing he might be in good condition if he can get through all this stuff. As I told Dr. Lynch, he was not in good shape at the start. He looked, in fact, maybe even a little older than his stated age, was minimally ambulatory. And he and his family really talked me into doublet chemotherapy, which we're learning is a good thing. And Neil, I think the best part of this presentation, in addition to this being an incredibly delightful gentleman and family, was... I think back to every summer when we do the think tank in Miami and we present hypothetical cases and we go around the room and everyone gets holier than thou on these hypothetical patients. Well, when Neil presented this case to me before he we went to the room, I'm thinking to myself, Neil, what the heck are you doing to this poor guy? Okay. I mean, what are you, you know, this poor 80 year old man. And then you go in and you see the patient. And that's what makes this kind of experience so much more powerful. Because when you see the patient, I walked out of the room agreeing that I would do exactly what you've done. Right. You've done a great service for him. He has a fantastic functional status. And you've really done very well by him. It just points out how important the patient context is and how difficult it can be when one's looking at things without it. And things also you know, evolved. He's someone, when I saw him, I thought, well, let's just give a little radiation to the lung, try and open up his lung, and then we'll stop there. We'll have done him a service. And then the brain metastases were discovered. And was like, well, let's do a one-time treatment and that we'll do him a service. And then ultimately got talked into the chemotherapy piece. And how did he tolerate the carbopemetrexid? Beautifully. I think his only problem with the entire production was a vague kind of hypersensitivity reaction to Nulasta. Hmm. What about the issue of Bev and him? So that's something that I had discussed with Dr. Lynch in thinking about transition to maintenance. And there are a couple of things that were concerning about him. He did have a brain metastasis that was somewhat hemorrhagic. He presented actually with a proximal mass and some hemoptysis. And so I guess the question is, is it ever safe in someone with a history of hemoptysis to give bevacizumab? And how do we feel about the hemorrhagic brain metastases? To my knowledge, that was not a subset that was really teased out in any of the registries. How about that, Tom? I agree with Neil. I think that the combination of, I don't think his age is a reason not to add bevacizumab, but I think it's the hemorrhagic brain mets and hemoptysis. I think that that makes it, if the hemorrhagic brain met was resected, could one do it? Sure. 
but then you've got the hemopsis issue. In hemopsis, has been radiated. Some people have argued perhaps we should consider it, but I would probably draw the line on both of those and stay without Bev. I think one of the big questions for Neil Love's benefit that we struggle with with this gentleman was this whole issue of switch maintenance or continuation maintenance. So you have a guy that you've done great by, and you clearly now are ready to transition off of the platinum. We've given him a fantastic regimen. He's done far better than anyone could ever have imagined. And the question is, do you continue the Pemetrex as continuation maintenance, or do you switch him to either Erlotinib or Docetaxel at this point? And this is one of those situations where, before we went into the room, I was a little bit thinking, well, we saw data from Chandra Balani at ASCO this year that suggests that continuation maintenance with gemcitabine certainly didn't seem to help patients very much. And we know that six cycles of chemo doesn't seem better than three cycles of chemo. We learned that from Mark Zizinski and others. And does it make sense to think about switching to either erlotinib or to docetaxel? But then when I saw him, I realized that I think his tolerance of Pemetrex is going to be better. I don't think we have the answer yet on Pemetrex and duration of therapy. And I kind of felt desired not to upset the apple cart in this gentleman. He had done so well. He's 80 years old. He's fragile. To give him a drug that he may not tolerate was something I didn't feel comfortable doing. I also realized how much disease he had, how well he was doing at this point. And I just felt that continuation, as you had initially planned, in him made the most sense. Now, with that said, I tend to favor switch maintenance more often. And I think the way that Pemetrex will be used in maintenance will be after treatment with a taxane. I think that's where you'll see its best benefit. But it was an interesting conundrum. And I guess there's a major cooperative group study kind of looking at this maintenance issue. And can you comment on that, Tom? So as we've heard about NASCO, the ECOG study, which is about to open up, which is a randomized trial, people get platinum-based upfront therapy and then randomized to either pemetrexid, pemetrexid and bevacizumab or bevacizumab alone. So looking at the question of which of those regimens is better in the maintenance setting, and we're looking forward to seeing that trial get up and running, although it will be a while before we get results. I think the one thing that Neil and I talked about during clinic this morning was some of the data from the ovarian cancer trial, which kind of gave a hint that there might be some benefit to maintenance Bev, not necessarily applicable to this gentleman, but to other people who come in in the setting. Yeah, there have been hints in different tumors about duration of therapy and BEV, and I guess, you know, we haven't quite sort of straightened that out. Yeah, I was talking about the bright registry. There was data there suggesting maybe people who got continued on progression did better. The adjuvant colon study, you saw something was going on while they were getting the BEV. Any thoughts about this issue, Tom, in terms of duration of longer-term anti-VEGF therapy and benefit? I just think, as you point out, I think that there are some hints that this will be the way that these drugs could be optimized in terms of their use. And I think many of us came away from ASCO. Going into ASCO, I think everyone felt strongly that maintenance BEV should be continued, but we felt it without a lot of conviction. I think the ovarian data kind of opened our eyes. And I think Neil's reference to the adjuvant colon data thinking about duration of treatment makes us think a little better about using these drugs for a more prolonged period of time. Any comment, Tom? This is an older man, and one of the ASCO plenary presentations was about treatment of older patients, singlet versus doublet. Any comments on that paper? Just I think this is a great example of confirming that paper, that doublet therapy really is in the patient's best interest. And I think that that's been shown time and time again, that what Neil did is exactly the right thing. You treat the patient. You don't treat a case study or some abstraction. And obviously, you made the right call here, and he's had a spectacular benefit. What's it been like taking care of him, Neil? 
taking care of him has been a little bit of a circus because whenever I see him, I also see his wife who was diagnosed with HER2 positive breast cancer and also probably has an underlying myelodysplastic syndrome. Wow, so she that's your patient? it. Yes. So it's always a dual extended encounter that requires logistical record keeping far in excess of our office's uh, ability. So <laughs> unfortunately, if I, if she's I got could, a, could just interchange, Neil, one of the things I was really impressed by, this was the second patient today. Two of the patients we saw, Neil took care of both the husband and the wife for different malignancies. And again, those of us who are academics who see one disease and just one disease, you've got to keep up on everything. And I don't envy that. Yeah. 